Welcome to episode 235 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. My wife is sitting at our kitchen table, scrolling through Facebook when something catches her eye and she starts to laugh out loud. A moment later, she calls me over to read the post and when I do, I'm confused. I had never heard about the hashtag target dress challenge and needed some context to appreciate how clever this post was. This surprised my wife. Her feed had been flooded with posts about hashtag target dress challenge over the last few days. My feed had nary a mention of it. I know I'm existing in a social media bubble when it comes to political views, but hadn't realized just how pervasive this was. On the one hand, this means I'm seeing content that I want to see when I look at my social feeds. I'm catching glimpses of my friends' lives and we're sharing a common language, common worldviews, and common challenges. The downside is that I know how critical it is to diversify our networks because our most innovative ideas will come from the edges of that network. Opportunities will also come from those places where our worldview and experience overlap a bit with another person or community's worldview and experience. This is illustrated in Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation, where he discusses how innovation and evolution thrive in large networks. Quote, studies have shown that the most creative individuals have broad social networks that extend outside their own organization and hence get new ideas from many different contexts. End quote. But without some effort, I believe there is great potential to miss out on the benefits of being part of large networks. Your challenge for this week, explore hidden gems of knowledge and know-how within your larger network. Start by creating a mind map of your personal learning network, PLN, the people or organizations you connect with to learn from their ideas, questions, and reflections. Put yourself in the middle of a sheet of paper or screen and draw lines to specific topics you've experienced in or would like to learn more about. For each of those topics, list the people you would go to to learn about or discuss these topics. Pick someone you know fairly well for each of these topics and ask them what other topics they are passionate about or very experienced in. The other topics they know about are hidden gems when it comes to learning new information that may create opportunities for innovation. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes everyone deserves to do what sets their souls ablaze, and it's her mission to help them do just that while not burning out. She's a keynote speaker and virtual MC aimed at helping people love their work, succeed on their own terms, and live a life they love. Her clients range from Fortune 500s to nonprofit associations, with her keynotes focused on boosting success and happiness. Teams that want their profits to grow alongside their personal fulfillment and authenticity are drawn to her energy, style, and actionable takeaways. She is a certified professional behavior analyst, which means she pairs her executive leadership and sales experience with behavioral science to understand what makes people trust, buy, and connect. That coveted knowledge is a powerful and often lucrative competitive advantage for her clients. She knows happy people are successful people and is on a mission to help individuals become their own joy generators. Please join me in welcoming Rachel Sheeran. Robbie, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for that intro. It's awesome. You're awesome. Thanks for joining us from your, your home office in North Carolina. Loved that you're here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
I love this question. And Robbie, I just want to get permission from you and listeners out there. Can I define what isn't leadership to define leadership? Is that okay with you? Because you know me. I, I like to rebel a little bit. And I will tell you that when I started to think about leadership, what I realized was I had a bunch of preconceived notions about what leadership was supposed to be. And then maybe like a lot of your listeners and, and maybe your own experience, you got to a level of either knowing a lot of leaders or growing into yourself as a leader. And then you realized, hashtag, what the heck is this, right? You think you know, you have no idea. And I used to think leadership was, I think it was an exalted position. I think it was very others focused. I think that it was very, um, I used to think leadership was a title and was the goal. I thought that, you know, I, I grew up in a big, strong Italian Catholic family. And I mean, the hierarchies are real uh, in, in my culture, in, in my family. And when I think about the leader, I think about the boss, right? And who doesn't want to be the boss? And bosses get things done and they've got respect and they get to, you know, eat first at the dinner table, which as a chubby kid was always kind of important to me. And I will tell you, leadership, now that I realize, you know, yes, leadership is others focused. It's very, I think if you do it well, you know, that phrase servant hearted leadership. I think that the joy you get from serving others is that leadership. Yes. But I would say instead of others focused, leadership is very self focused. And that's, I think, one of the biggest distinctions and eye openers for me was it's not about others, it has to start with me. And it in leadership's a verb, not this idea. And leadership isn't I I have immense respect for people and powers of positions, but that doesn't mean that if you're in a position or have a title, that you're a leader. And that distinction, I think, it also kind of helped me separate from the fact that leadership wasn't the goal. Leadership was a journey. And I was, I was not meant to start out as the best leader I was ever going to be, but I'm meant to grow into it. And being a leader isn't about, oh, I'm a great leader in X way. It's got to be I'm a leader. I'm a great leader for X person in the, the way that matters to them, uh, Y person in the way that matters to them. And I realized that a, a leader... Oof, I, you know, I used to think that the way leadership worked was everybody, you know, kind of exalted the leader and the leader got to call the shots. And I think great leadership now is the exact converse that the more you grow in leadership, the more you serve others and the more you're, you're able to meet them where they need it most so mm. that they can grow too. Yeah. I love this visual of it being very action oriented. Like, like you said, leadership is a verb, you know, and I, you know, it's, it's something you aspire to and then you work at. Um, and I also think you're right to mention all the ways it's not because we do get fed these sort of messages and internalize them and then try to embody those messages. And then, and then we go that, to therapy about it. Yeah, totally, Robbie. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. So anyone listening out here, you can skip all those steps if you just listen to Rachel, you know. No, but it's it's true that, um, you know, our messaging comes, comes probably early on. So I, I'm actually kind of curious, uh, you know, when did you start to realize you had some of the 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 true leadership potential, the the capacity? Did someone see it in you? Did you recognize it in yourself? That is an interesting question. My knee jerk reaction to it, honestly, is I thought I was going to be a leader, or I was a leader when I was maybe about five or six because I was very outgoing. And Robbie, I know that's something you and I share. You and I love, I mean, we could just network and network and network and meet and meet and meet forever, and then occasionally sleep. Um, but when I think back to leadership, even as a kid, it, I think I was doing it in that kind of old model of leadership, all the things that I realized eventually it wasn't. And the I think the time that I realized that I was going to be a leader, that I wanted to have leadership be an important part of my life, part of my business, was when my dreams and desires required me to step up to the plate. Because as a business owner, I own my own company now. You know, I, a few years ago, worked for a company that I loved, that I treated like my own, that I had a title and I had a team. And I mean, millions and millions of dollars of success for the company. I, you know, I, I was from all outside perspectives, I was successful and I was the leader. 
And I was miserable. And I challenged, I'm challenged to say that maybe I was the worst leader that I could have been for my team and for myself, which led to burnout. And that's, of course, one of the things I'm really passionate about talking about. But you fast forward a year later, and I realized that I have to be the leader I always wanted. You know, I I almost... Growing up, I think I was very distrustful of leaders, to be quite honest. I think as a self-protective mechanism, I thought, well, you know, they'll disappoint you and, you know, um, don't put too many eggs in in your baskets and, and things like that. And what I started to realize was if I didn't trust leaders or if I didn't like the leadership that was out there, well, then what the heck? It's up to me to be the leader I always wanted and the leader that I really need and my goals really need. And I think, you know, for anyone out there listening, what makes a great leader and how you want to be are truly the same list. You know, when you talk about the people you admire and and really look up to in this world, when I hear what people admire in others, I hear the wish list of the way they wish they were. And, you know, I'm a big person, you know, don't wish it, work for it. And that gave me a really uh, a good blueprint. Am I perfect? No. Uh, You know, if I'm the leader of myself, my employee is also myself. And sometimes I really just, you know, fuddle around over here, but I'm working on it. I have to say the hardest person I've ever worked for is only in the last few years as I've worked for myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a different yes. kind of uh, thing when, when the buck really does stop with you. Uh, so self-leadership, self-leadership really comes to the forefront. Um, I, I can only imagine you as a five or six-year-old um, on the playground, um, you know, be, being very engaging and making lots of friends and, and you know, probably being labeled by people who didn't like you in one way or the other. Um, yes. So isn't it funny how those, some of those same like virtues and assets, like depending on where you are in life, it could happen from minute to minute, not decade to decade. Um, but there, but if you weren't tenacious, then you yes. would not have made it to where you are today. I love that point, Robbie, because you're so right. And I'll tell you, I am, um, you know, some people lump me in with the self-improvement um, kind of speaker, the motivational speaker, which is which is true. I'm very big into improving and being your best and, and going after what you desire. But I'll tell you, I'm not in the business of working too hard on the things I'm not so good at. I would rather amplify the things that are already within me. And you're right. Some people label me as too much. And you know what? I'm not everyone's cup of coffee but I'm definitely some people shot at tequila and I'm cool with it. Hashtag margarita gang. Okay. So it's, it's really cool. And you know, when you think about it, isn't it so much more fun to be yourself? Like just at a core human level, like, isn't that the world we're going for right now is where people can show up fully as themselves and give their best and feel their best and be welcomed. And how's that going to happen if, if it doesn't start with me? right? Mm. If I don't create that blueprint of show up as you are. So I I know you feel that same way. I do. I do. I think one of my goals in life is to create spaces where people can show up with more of their full selves, like just so that they can, can practice what that feels like. Cause I think for people who are starting at the beginning of that journey, I think it can be very scary because like self is often defined by others. And so, you know, tree falls in the woods, (laughs) like, but you know, so true. Who am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious where you thought your career was headed because I know that you ended up in the meetings industry um, before becoming an entrepreneur. But did how did you know that was a thing? Like like what were you doing in like high school, college that led you into that industry? Yeah, the true answer is I like to party, and I like to honestly celebrate people. And, you know, the answer to your question is, is I think probably going to resonate with a lot of people out there. I am not one of those people that had it all planned out. And I still don't. And I love that spontaneity. I love that creativity. I love the opportunity and the idea that I'll be many things. And I'm multifaceted in my life as a partner, as a business owner, as a, you know, uh, an aunt or a creative or all the other things that I could be, will be, have been, those kinds of things. But no, you know, when I went to college, I knew I had to go to college because I needed my ticket punched. I went for an English degree because I love to read and I love to write. And uh, I thought, well, this will be easy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I will admit 
college was relatively easy for me because I separated myself from my performance kind of early on. I said, the goal here is to finish. And um, when I think about my career, the reason I got into the meetings and events industry really was because I I liked to celebrate, I liked to party, and I was working a job that I was quite good at. Technically, I was learning a lot from this huge serial entrepreneur and was really interested in it. I had, you know, had some stints as an antique bookseller. I had, you know, tried the law school route. Turns out law firm's not for me. Um, I had done so many different roles and I was quite good at this role and I loved learning, but I was missing the joy side of things. The thing I was selling or the business that I was selling really wasn't that interesting. It was actually in pest control. And this gentleman, I know it's it's so wild. I've had like hundreds of jobs, Robbie, and some of them last a day and others last, I mean, maybe a few years. But it's one of those things where I said, okay, I'm, I really value the learning, but I just missed the joy. And so I um, responded to an ad on Craigslist, missing Craigslist, right? And I got a weekend job. And I just, we, my husband and I, we had just bought our house and I was working so much. And I got to tell you, those those one or two events on the weekends gave me life. I mean, if you really think about it, sometimes I watch people hug goodbye at the airport, you know, outside of TSA here in America, and I choke up. Uh, with emotion. Here I am, you know, I'm waiting to get, you know, scanned myself. And just the fact that somebody, when you bring people together, it's it's emotion, it's love, it's, you know, I mean, a, a good meal can heal everything. And just this idea of, God, who wouldn't want to be around that? You know, I started in weddings, and I I loved it. Every time a father of the bride or father of the groom cried, I was crying right alongside them. I, I, I was, I'm a softie, you know, I, I'm a happy crier. And then as I moved through the industry, you know, I knew I wanted to just be part of bigger things. And so did I have a vision? Yeah, I think eventually I thought I was going to be um, an executive. And I I probably knew from a young age I was going to own my own business. That's what my, my father had done. And he, I learned a lot from him while he was alive um, about small business and, and own ownership and, you know, having your own dream. But on the other side, I learned from watching some things not to do. And I thought, God, if I could take what he's shown me and what I feel inside and just avoid these pitfalls he's illuminated for me, I I could do it too. And that came in handy. That did come in handy. And it feels like even though um, you you went into the industry, you kind of maintain this entrepreneurial attitude even while employed, oh, right? Yes. So you're, you were paying attention and picking things up. But did you know, like, you know, was there a moment when you were like, I'm happily settled and that scared you and you thought, uh-oh, I don't actually want to be happily settled in this role. I actually have more to do in life. Great question. I will say that previously I've always worked for small businesses. I've never worked for a large Wells Fargo or, um, a, you know, an entity that has thousands of employees. So, you know, to your point, I always took ownership. I, I fall into the category of people that care way too much about their work and like it that way, by the way. I mean, I find a lot of fulfillment and identity, which is a very American ideal. You know, the rest of the world is like, what are you doing? And we're like, I don't know. We love it, you know, but we self-identify with our jobs a lot. And I fall into that category. But thinking back, I don't think there was ever that fear because small business is so fun. And the great thing about small business, I mean, this is a big proponent of my company now, is the more success I get, the more people I can bring through the door of opportunity, the more people I can elevate with me, the more people I can provide for and build the company cultures that I want. And when I think about that, it's, you know, my success is everyone's success if if I can keep going with it. And that's um i think that's one of the more exciting things about being in business right now i know robbie you have a lot of uh, people that you're sharing your success with and isn't it fun yeah you know i've been um thinking about this a lot lately the um particularly in light of this past you know year and how how hard it was on a global scale and on a very like personal scale for for families and there are people individuals who've done incredibly well last year and even people who, you know, didn't like hit it out of the park, there are things about how they started to live that they really liked. 
And I actually uh, posted a, you know, what what made you proud from 2020 um, post on Facebook that got like just through the roof, like response rate. And it, I, and it was great to be able to celebrate like little W wins and big W wins and like to create it's a space where people can, can share that. Cause I think you're right. It almost feels selfish to not share that joy because it's inspiring. And then you become a resource for other people. You can then give to other people like, hiding that doesn't feel like it, it doesn't, it diminishes you and it doesn't actually help other people. So yeah, what, I know that what you, is that phrase? Joy, joy shared is joy multiplied. Yeah, you go. And so I think about that a lot. That's really cool. I, I'm, I wanted to take a minute about this because I thought you would have some thoughts, you know, giving that, you know, this last line of your, um, you know, have help individuals become their own joy generators. It's like such a great line. Um, <laughs> so thinking about, um, that though, how do you translate like that instinct that you have around helping people find their joy into a job? <laughs> like, you know, because <laughs> that's like, I don't know. It's like, I love networking, but it took me a lot of effort to figure out how to get paid for the thing I love to do because yeah. it, was, it feels so abstract. So how do totally. you take this like desire to help people find their own, you know, within, <laughs> um, yeah. and then turn it into a career? You know, this is probably, I, I love the way you phrase it because it is, it, you know, when you say J-O-B, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it is a job. But I'll tell you right now that in my core of being, like who I am as a friend or a partner, as a person, a, a family member, even as a stranger, I know some things about myself are inherently consistently true. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear what hurts people, what they're grieving, what they're, they, they've lost, and what they love and what they hope for and what they desire. And I also pair it with um, being very good at sales and being a, somebody who can advocate my best ideas, which by the way, you know, I love to say in, in a lot of my sales training um, that I do for teams, I often start with the ops team or an internal facilities team, an engineering team, people who traditionally, as I lovingly like to say, are anti-sales. And I gather them together and I say, all right, y'all, this is advocation training. Because whether you call it sales or advocation, all sales does really truly is say, I have a great idea, a great product, a great service, a great person, a great mindset, a great attitude. Um, maybe you're selling yourself and it's a first date and you're like, okay, I hope you like me. That's a sale. And at the end of the day, what I believe is really true and I think is really necessary for our world right now is where the extroverted people, the people who quote unquote have a natural ability to sell or maybe just, you know, are gifted in that way. Oh no, I'm here to make worthy adversaries and help people elevate their voice in those uh, scenarios. And I think to me, one of the consistent joy givers is being heard. I don't care who you are. People want to be heard. And on the flip side of that is me lovingly saying here, then you've got to speak up. And when you're able to speak up, uh, by the way, being heard can be an internal hearing. I think a lot of extroverted people, uh, perhaps you'll resonate with this, Robbie. I think a lot of extroverted people were quite good at being heard externally, but it's harder actually to hear internally what we want because we're so exterior focused on our clients or our friends or our family. You know, I mean, I might have been, I was in my 30s. I'm still in my 30s, but I was in my 30s before I could clearly hear when someone asked, where do you want to go to dinner? I have a response that I really mean and feel comfortable instead of just word vomiting out. Whatever you want, what do you want? I mean, well, I know you like this restaurant, you know, no, I have my own opinion. And guess what? All the love that I've given out, right? I can now hear myself and I say, okay, this is what I want. And in a, a restaurant's a silly example, but it's a, it's a daily example of how when we are able and courageous enough to listen to ourselves and able to communicate it to others, I mean, huge explosion. I, it, it's limitless. And I think that is at a core of joy. And I will say to me, you know, it's important for me. I think about all the keynote speakers I've seen over the years. And I love a good motivation. I do. I, I think that learning new things, well, I know the science behind it. Learning new things motivates you. 
when you're motivated with energy um, and you increase your happiness, you sell more, you score more points. If you're in sports, you have better sex, you get better uh, job promotions, you're liked more by your peers and coworkers. How about when you are happy, it turns into you giving more and when you give to others, it makes you happy, which creates this beautiful cycle. I know all of this to be true, but when I would see keynote speakers sometimes, they made me feel good, but they didn't give me anything uh, that I really, uh, that wowed me from a learning perspective. And when I would see educational or maybe, um, you know, maybe heavily corporate focused or journalist or uh, upper, how do you call it, like professors and researchers, I was missing the emotion when they spoke. And that's where I think when it comes to me, what's important is, is you've got to have the science to back it up. You've got to have the personal experience to back it up. You know, I, I speak on my topics because I have thrown out a six-figure job while throwing laptops and cursing my way out the door where I threw out my reputation, my industry, my income. You know, I bless my husband, King Sharon, as I like to call him. You know, I walked in the door and I said, babe, I quit. And he goes, all right. Okay, we'll we'll figure it out. And I said, and I'm going to Miami because I just don't want to be here. And he was like, all right, we'll have fun. Uh, I'll drive you to the airport. And he was, he's a saint on that. So I did that answer uh, your question, Robbie. I wow. get so excited talking about happiness and spreading it. I could, I can go on for well, hours. There's, there's so much to unpack here, but I also think uh, to your first, one of your earlier points here was uh, the ability to do sales that like you could have a great, great idea that that you know has an impact that people you know find really valuable but if you're afraid to talk to them about it and are afraid to ask what you think is the true value of it i have talked to this with entrepreneurs all the time in my coaching practice that you know if you don't ask for the for a fair price not a gouging price but a fair price for what you do you will not be in business long enough to have the impact you're capable of preach and if you don't feel like you're the expert why do you why should your clients view you as that you know that confidence that um one of those phrases you know comp competence builds confidence some people need the competence in sales in conf uh, in actually being confident in the mindset of being your own best advocate and ally because think about all of the creative geniuses that we look at that were only famous after their death and you know why it's because they sucked at sales and probably a, a myriad of maybe mental health issues or unfortunate circumstances things like that but a lot of times the people if you see someone out there doing doing something you want to do and you think i can do better do it you know, it's Why so not you. Though. Nobody, nobody would probably equate sales with joy, but you. <laughs> but I do think, but I, I, but I like, I like that you went there because I do think that you could have had a great idea that didn't come into business if you had let. Um, my my background's in fundraising, so when I I would teach people fundraising, and there's this phrase, uh, "Kick yourself out of the way and let the cause talk." So if you're, if you're if you're afraid to ask for money, kick yourself out of the way and let the cause talk. And so I've translated that into the world of entrepreneurship because it's very similar. It's like, it's not actually about you. It's about the impact you're going to have. And so um, I'm curious, what was the challenging piece of all this when you were making all these shifts? You know, it sounds like you had a tumultuous moment, leaving a, leaving a key role. You went to Miami. Did you, is that when you decided to start your own business? Was that the... Oh, I wish. I wish I had this great epiphany moment. But no, Robbie, after I quit my job from burnout, I mean, I went into probably the most like hermit crab like state I've ever been in my life. I was so deeply ashamed. Shout out to all my Catholics out there. You know what I'm talking about here. Uh, the guilt and the shame is real because um, here I was, this giant failure. I couldn't hack it. I um, couldn't cut it. I was embarrassed. I had no plan. You know, all these narratives were going on. Oh, and by the way, the reason that I, I was feeling so burned out was because I was a fraud anyway. And who was I to think about it? And I always, I always knew I'd fail as a leader and I could never keep any, I could never keep a job for that long, you know, and all this, all this stuff that you tell yourself 
which unfortunately is completely unedited. And so, you know, you don't have an editor reading over the 40,000, 60,000 thoughts we have a day. Um, if so, I know what my editor would have done, redline all of it and be like, this is BS. This is a total lie. Um, this LOL, seriously, no, you know, that they, they could have edited, but, um, it was maybe about six or eight months later, to be honest. And, you know, some of what I, I, some of what I would share with your listeners right now is really look at the things that you're skilled in, the things that you're passionate in, and the things that you wish the world was like. And if you can find, you know, I have a download on my website that if you can find the Venn diagram of where that meets in the middle, by God, you found your calling. And that's where I, I said, you know what? I never want somebody to experience burnout. I never want somebody to leave a job they love, a career they love, a team they love, a company they love. You can burn out from your own company, right? You're party of one company. I never want somebody to love their work like I did and then lose that love. Because in great work comes great impact and great influence and great legacy. And let's call it what it is, uh, great income, great stability, great generosity, you know, all these wonderful things. And I felt so robbed of that. And I also knew, you know, sales and, you know, what would it look like if the introverts of the world could speak up in a meeting and say, actually, I have something to contribute while all the extroverts at the table actually listened and didn't have their own fears. And, you know, I, and that's the world I'm trying to build. I'm trying to build a world where I'm not the only plus size woman on stage or plus size person on stage. I'm trying to build a world where the opening keynote, um, you know, isn't an old white guy. And, I, you know, my joke is, hey, listen, I love white guys. I'm currently sleeping with one. But at the end of the day, I want more voices. And if that's not the world that I'm building, and if that's the world that I want, then my actions and my calling and my offerings, they all, they all culminate with that. So, you know, when you, when you think about it too, I'll tack on this. If it hasn't been done, hooray, if it has been done, I know Robbie, you're a big reader. Look for those inspirations. Adults need heroes and mentors. And, you know, I remember I loved Henry Ford as a kid. I, I, I wanted to be a race car driver for a time, all this stuff. And I was super into him. And Henry Ford has some great quotes. He's got some incredible success. Y'all, he's also an anti-Semite, or he was, you know? And the second I learned that, I thought, oh my God, and I was devastated. And, you know, then my old fears came up and said, this is why you don't trust in leaders and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Y'all, take what you need from people and move on. You know, yeah. not everybody has to be perfect. I have a, a totally random aside, but I just recently learned why you can have the car in any color you want as long as it was black. The, the reason is that black was the only color that dried fast enough at that time to be produced at the rate the cars were coming off the line. Absolutely genius. Absolutely <laughs> genius. I mean, the marketing spins. Oh, oh yeah. Take what Lord, you can from yes. it. I mean, Dr. Seuss has a shady past and yet, you know, we, we, we all grew up on it. So, um, totally. I hear Warren Buffett's a bad tipper. All right. D oh, don't take, no. I know he only tips 10%. He hasn't tipped with inflation rising, unfortunately, but oh. here's the thing, uncle Warren, <laughs> Hey, listen, I'll take a ride on the jets. All right. Marquee jet for me is okay. So um, you, because you were in the meetings industry, did, were you introduced to the world of speaking through that? Because I know a lot of speakers that I've met didn't realize that that was a career. Like they were doing it without realizing it, like they could keep doing it and get paid. Did, did that click quicker for you as you were moving into your own, you know, I guess your own business because you knew people who did that? No, you know where I figured out, I, I will tell you, I'm in the camp of, wait, that's a job. And I'll tell you the moment that I, I learned it, um, I was going to my therapist. Uh, her name is Jenny. And Jenny asked me when the last time I felt individual joy was. An individual joy, as she defined it, was joy and happiness, not based on how people react around me but how I truly feel inside, inf influenced either internally or externally. And I'm embarrassed to say it took me weeks to come up with that, Robbie. I was I was in such a dark place. I was so burned out. I was so, I was a stranger to myself, you know, I, I couldn't hear myself inside. And what came to mind was there's a band from Worcester, Massachusetts that I love, and their name is Bane. They're, they're not a band anymore. They were in like the hardcore punk rock metal variety. And um, the thing I loved about Bane 
was they weren't the best musicians. They might not have, they're definitely not the most attractive band if you decide to Google it. The thing I loved was the lead singer, what he said between songs. He would tell me that, you know, that things were changing and I didn't have to accept it, that I could be the exception to the rule, that that the reasons, not rules, make you strong, that, you know, if if the world is going a different way, that you could just invest in yourself and that you could be all in and it was worth taking the risk and taking the shot. And I was folding laundry. I kid you not. I can see it clear as day. I was folding a red t-shirt. I fold the one side in. I think about Bane. I fold the left side in. I think about the lead singer, Aaron. And then I fold it and I go, oh, he's a motivational speaker. And I loved it. And that's exactly what I want to be. And I sat down at the thought of it because it felt the, inst- the, the, the voices that said, ha, 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 ha good job. Or like, yeah, right. Or like, you have no musical talent. And I was like, well, no, that's not what it is. And, you know, oh, you're too old. You're too young. And I'm like, oh, shoot. No, I don't think so. And it's like, well, now you're too old, right? For the music industry, you know, being in your 30s is very old. And I I just had all this naysaying thoughts, but I knew the truth. There was like a, a Rachel in the corner, the Rachel of truth that was like, now that you know, it, if you want to turn away, that's on you. But if you want to turn towards it, there's a big, there's a big opportunity. And, you know, in the industry, I will say events industry, you'd think it'd give me a leg up, perhaps a, maybe an insider's view. I will tell you, I mostly dealt in uh, catering. So I was, I was big into food. I wasn't, you know, somebody putting on, uh, there are event producers or DMCs out there that work for associations or corporations. I was a vendor for food and off-premise uh, locations. But I will say this, and I think this is a challenge a lot of maybe your listeners might face, whether they're building their own business, they're, you know, currently looking for a rebrand. I mean, the the past uh, few months have liberated a lot of people from their jobs, you know, unexpectedly and, and things like that. I will say one of the biggest challenges, probably the biggest challenge, was rebranding myself and once I believed the rebrand, once I dug into the confidence that I was, I don't care, the second I got my first $250 check for speaking, Robbie, I had made it. And when I believed it and when I knew it was true and when I committed to selling as the expert and to showing up as not Rachel Sheeran, the um, former director of sales, instead I showed up as Rachel Sheeran, keynote speaker and, and motivator, the second that everyone else around me rebranded me too. And I did have to go outside of my circles at first, but it's been, I think I expected different support and the support I'm really looking for is always within myself first. I can't expect others to get behind me if I'm not behind me. Oh, all 100%. I can underscore so much of what you just said. And and, and in particular, um, I wanted to talk about your network because, um, you know, like you said, it wasn't necessarily that you, you when you went out to you do your own business that you had a ready-made network of people who were going to help you, that you actually had to build that up. What year did you go out to do your own thing? Like how far back are we going? I started right at the end of 2016. Okay. So I'm about four years, years in now. Yeah, four years mm-hmm. in. So you've done a lot in four years. I would have thought it was longer. I, I, know, I knew the time frame, and I still thought, wow, you've done a lot in four years. So um, so I always ask a question about, you know, you you have the sort of your inner circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with at whatever rhythm feels right. But then there's a sort of second and third layers out, the people maybe you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago on some project, but you don't have a reason to now. These are people that you like and enjoy and they like you and they enjoy you. How do you nurture and sustain those connections? Like, Do you have any habits, philosophies, or practices that help you stay in touch with that community? I'm hesitant to reply in full because I could be better. I just want to say out loud, as somebody who really enjoys relationships and connections, somebody who's extroverted, somebody who loves meeting new people, I mean, you know, it used to be that you didn't want to sit next to me on an airplane. Now I can gauge your body language much, uh, much better. So I won't talk your ear off unless you'd like to make a deep emotional connection. I am the person, though, that will sit down next to a stranger. Robbie, maybe you're like this. And they will, you will know everything about them by the end of the, 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 um, the flight. And they will have cried once and you will have cried with them. So that is me. That is me. But I will say, you know, I have a motto. uh, One of the mottos that I go by for life is say what's true. And that's, 
I think really important, especially in virtual connections, is it makes me cringe sometimes where somebody will say, I can't wait to see you. And that's not true because you can wait and you must wait. And so when you are connecting with people, I would challenge you to say, say what's true. And also, if you're a people pleaser person, which hi, I identify as a retired one, a liberated one, I would say that if you go by say what's true, you're always going to commit to things that you'll follow through and people will know your sincerity. You know, I I think one of the things, if I could go back to 25 year old me and give a piece of advice, I would say, you know, be memorable for the energy that you bring into a room, into a conversation, into an email, into a Zoom. You know, I, I, I can turn up the heat. I can make it ice cold, but every I like to think every interaction I have, people leave more positive. And that's something that's always been true. But now I'm aware of it and I'm intentional with it. That, you know, I don't I don't sugarcoat or Pollyanna everything, you know. Oh, everything's great. Everything's amazing. Like, just, you know, like, good luck. I believe in you. You know, I mean, some people I don't say I believe in them because, Robbie, I don't. <laughs> because they don't believe in themselves. And I can't, you know, I can bring a horse to water and I can dunk it under if if they want. But, you know, you got to, you got to breathe in. You got to drink. So um, (laughs) that's more, that's great on the philosophical level, but I also know you to be um, more meticulous and, and more thoughtful than most about um, the way you stay in touch with people. So I'm going to draw you further into this question, partly because I know a little bit about you and I, I, first of all, it's like, it's a thing to behold when, when I hear what (laughs) you do. So, so what, well, well, one is like, how does that fit in with the philosophy you just laid out? Mm -hmm. Um, But like in, in a, in a tangible way, like, how do you keep up with all the things that you do? Yeah. Okay. So great question. So I will tell you from a, an email perspective, let's start it there. When I make a great connection with somebody and they tell me they have kids, I go into my Gmail and I do use Boomerang, which is the free service that you can schedule emails for. Just Google it if you don't have it already. But I set up emails and templates to get scheduled to send for happy Mother's Day, happy Father's Day, happy summer vacation, happy spring break, um, happy, uh, you know, unfortunately in 2021, I, I didn't do this one. But in, you know, when we all go back to school in, in person, and I know that we are back in school, I say, you know, happy, thank God these kids are out of my house day um, for, you know, after big breaks and things like that. So does the boomerang come back to you to remind you to send it or do you rewrite? It automatically sends it. So I set up everything. It, like so when, uh, when you realized in the middle of 2020 that you couldn't send the, thank God the kids are out of the house. Did you go into boomerang and like, remember to like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, you deleted the, that's yeah. Okay. Wow. I, so we're going to get messages beyond the grave from you in 50 years because yeah, you're probably pre-written messages. Listen, d- anyone, anyone here who has a spouse and they want to add more romance to their life, just go ahead and boomerang some, I'm thinking about you naked right now messages. It works. <laughs> All right. Listen, if I love you today and I want to see you naked today, chances are it's going to be true in six months and uh, it really will. It'll make someone's day. Think about, think about those people right now that you see or maybe you see them on social media. Maybe you know that they've, um, maybe you haven't even talked to them. Maybe I just heard through the grapevine that one of our industry leaders has been laid off. And this is kind of a, a titan in the industry. And I thought, wow, this poor gentleman. And so you know what? I went in and I boomeranged a message for a month from now. Because I might talk to him. I might not. He's not on my like daily rotation. He's not a client of mine. He's just somebody I respect in the industry. And I'm going to share with him uh, an article that I read. And it's about uh, blooming after 50. And that's not something that I personally have experience with yet. But, you know, this is the kind of motivation and say, hey, listen, I read this and I thought of you and how you had reinvented yourself because this would be a maybe third or fourth reinvention for this gentleman. And you know what? Because it's it's a fresh wound right now. How about let me just say out loud to anyone out there who's grieving or has lost somebody very recently or maybe not so recent, but it still feels fresh. You know, grief is a funny thing that it messes with time. You know, I can be transported to the the day I lost my dad. I, I can remember the day before I lost my dad so clearly. 
And just because he's been gone now a little while doesn't mean that it's not still fresh. And I will say out loud, you know, I, I live by the three C's. You, when you see somebody, um, you celebrate with them, you congratulate them on the good things and you console them. And consoling happens. It's, it's like someone has a baby and you do the shower and then maybe you come over and you see the baby. But what about six months from then when everything stinks and everything's a mess and everyone's emotional and like maybe someone's regressed in sleep. So everyone regresses in sleep, right? Robbie, you're a parent. You know how this goes. But it's that kind of stuff. It's showing up in those ways and not turning away from people's pain. You know, that's a that's one of the things I think I really I don't want to say that I enjoy sitting with people in, in their pain, but there has been a lot of emotional depth that I, I create with people because I, I see them and I accept them and I support them and, and just listen. You know, one of the best gifts, I hope if you don't take anything from this episode, one of the best gifts you can give somebody who loses someone, because it's not if, it's when, right, is to simply say, wow, I sound amazing. I'd love to learn or hear more about them sometime. Because the fact that you give someone permission to talk about someone they love, you know, I'll speak candidly from experience. I was really close with my father and my siblings are much younger than I am. And I don't want to burden them with my sadness or my memories or my um, emotionality. And if you can imagine, they're not keynote speakers. One of them's a pharmacist and one of them is in mortgages. So they're much more analytical than I am. And the fact that I get to, it's part of the reason I, I talk about my dad a lot. I get to bring him along, even though he's not here. Mm. And to be able to yeah. share that is a really big gift. In the time that we have remaining, um, I, I'm, before I get to the the next question, which is really the last question, you're a big gift giver to the point where your accountant had to call you on <laughs> what percentage you were putting into gifts. I love a gift. <laughs> I know you, you you love a good gift and they're all, they're not like uh, generic things. Um, how long have you been following a practice of, of gift giving as a part of building your network? Probably since I was about three and got crayons and could color. I mean, the, the, the fact that when you give a gift, no one, I think most people don't expect it and they love it. Um, now, uh, you know, you are right to say my, my accountant did have a conversation. Uh, when your travel budget is only eclipsed by your gift budget, slow your role, Rachel. Um, and I will say, you know, I, I think about gifts in, in two ways. I think about, okay, well, like, how can a gift represent, you know, something that I want to encourage in my clients or in, in people I know, um, something that will surprise and delight to use that Disney term. Robbie, I know you're a big subscriber to that. Um, but also to something that represents my brand really well. Like you can't see it, but my, uh, you know, those listening, if you ever stream an event with me or see me in my studio, it is brightly colored. It is fun. I talk a lot about margaritas in my narratives. I love to have bright, positive imagery around me. And so a lot of the gifts that I give, whether it's, you know, a margarita making set, whether it's, you know, chocolates for Valentine's Day, whether it's, you know, sending bouquets of flowers. I grew up in a household that my mom, she's actually from the Midwest, and she was raised by parents who worked extremely hard, that were high school graduates, that were salt of the earth and are salt of the earth people. And so flowers, fresh cut flowers are the most frivolous gift. I I mean, my mother would be, she, she's offended when you give her flowers. It just is such a waste, you know? But you know what? I just want to say out loud that there are some people that love, I mean, it's it's beautiful to look at. It's um, joyful. And you know what? I'm sick of only getting flowers when either A, when you have a partner. Not everyone has a partner that, that does that, right? Um, but also too, when you're married and when you're dead. And you know what? I don't need either of those flowers, right? How about flowers for congratulations? Congratulations, it's Tuesday, or like, welcome to May, or, you know, like, hey, listen, <laughs> Robbie, you're getting me emotional, because is there anything more beautiful or loving to hear the words, I thought of you mm -hmm. when I saw this? Yeah. And that's what gifting does. And it doesn't have to be complicated. I love buying out huge store. Like if I see something uh, from West Elm that's on clearance and that's like just this cute little glass palm tree or a poster that says, you know, like be nice, you know, like those things, I'm happy to buy them and, and be be frugal about them as well. So yeah, yeah. 
Doesn't have to break the bank. No, these are all great. I mean, I think you've got a great philosophy and some practical tips as well. Um, here's here's my wrap up question that is one of my favorite questions. You know, we I know you and I are going to be in constant touch. Um, uh, you know, for for the for the record, you and I are in a pure mastermind together that we uh, I've been running for years, but you just joined in the last few months, and it's been amazing to get to know you, which is it's why it's an I was honor able, to be nominated. <laughs> why I, I, I knew a little more about your story. Um, but, uh, you know, let's say it's a year from now and we're chatting about um, all of your successes from the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh, gosh. Robbie, a year from now, I'm going to be on 69 weeks straight on my Peloton, which will be the longest streak of moving my physical being ever, ever. And I will have been so proud. I also will have my book will have been published. So I'm really excited. Uh, the working title is Burnout to Badass. So I will definitely keep you in the loop on that one. But it is all about getting joy back in your work. And to be honest, I think, and this is going to be really exciting times, we are going to live in a more peaceful, inclusive, aware time. I, I I can't imagine a future that doesn't have that because of all the work I, I see a lot of people putting in right now. And I know you're doing and I'm doing and, and speaking up. And I'm not going to lie, a year from now, Robbie, we're definitely going to be cheersing margaritas, champagne, old fashions. Listen, whatever you want, maybe seltzers, homemade seltzer, as I know you enjoy with your limes. Uh, listen, we're going to be cheersing a lot. And and I think that's the the best thing is you get to choose. You know, the choose your own adventure books aren't just for children to read with their parents or their their teachers. It is our life. And if we're going to choose our own adventure, what what is it that we want? What is it that we believe we can get? And are we wild enough, confident enough, loving enough to think that what we desire was really put there for a reason? Awesome. Well, I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. Uh, with my homemade seltzer with lime in hand. How can people find you and follow your work? Great question. I am constantly on LinkedIn. So find me there, Rachel Sheeran. Um, if you want to see pictures of my cute dog and my hot husband, I post a lot on Instagram. I'm at rachel.sheeran on there. But I also have a, a weekly motivational email that I send out. You'll get episodes of my podcast, F This S. That's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> uh, delivered weekly, um, too, if you sign up for my newsletter. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rachel. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 235. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources of today's show, as well as all the archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. I'm restarting a dinner mastermind series that I hosted for several years in the Boston area. Each month, I'm inviting six to eight participants to join me for a two-hour Zoom. I'll facilitate a discussion based on questions shared by that month's participants. This is a great way to explore new topics and meet new people or deepen connections with people you've already met. If you'd like to be considered for the guest list, email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com to learn more. Also, if you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell in my profile so you're notified when I'm hosting a room. I'm experimenting with times of day and plan to have recurring events on a variety of topics. If you enjoyed this episode with Rachel, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.